Yes, if you're in the driver's seat, uh, take care wherever you may be. Uh, through Perth, through the southwest, in the gold fields, on digital radio, DAB Plus, uh, through SEN Peel, or on the SEN WA Great to have you on board. Uh, you're with Peter Vlahos, so it's all thanks to Toolmart, the complete tool centre. It is a Tuesday, and the big story in the AFL is the brand new broadcast rights was officially unveiled today, last night, on Drive with Peter Vlahos. Kim Hagdorn said this. They had a lot to celebrate, the likes of Gillan McLaughlin, Richard Goiter and Kerry Stokes. They kicked on till after midnight in their corporate box at the, at the stadium. After midnight, celebrating, confirming the new broadcast rights is my understanding. Mm-hmm. So the television broadcast rights, still two years away to for conclusion for the current agreement, but my understanding is the celebrations in their corporate box with the AFL heaviest hitters on Saturday night was, was congratulating each other, appreciating each other, because Channel 7 and Fox will continue as the broadcast rights holders for Australian rules football beyond 2024. The details of how long I haven't been able to glean, the, the, the suspicion is five years beyond 2024 mm-hmm. that we will continue. This is where it becomes valuable, I think, to all of us with traditional coverage from Seven and Fox. I know Fox, you have to have a subscription, but it is growing, but you're going to get your free-to-air. So the agreements will be pretty much as as, 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 as they are. Yep. Because there was a... But more um, money, more money from There was a bit of concern about the free-to-air coverage in states like Western Australia and South Australia. Yeah. Uh, your uh, understanding is that won't change. What we've seen in the last few years will remain. The best that I can get. The best that I've been able to get, Peter, is that... Let's repeat that finally we have an agreement between seven, that's Kerry Stokes and Fox, with the AFL, Gillan McLaughlin, Richard Goiter, Kerry Stokes, AFL administration, celebrated the conclusion of their negotiations for, that have gone on for years for, for the broadcast rights from beyond 2024. It was done here in Perth on Saturday night at this glorious stadium that is ours, and that's why Gillan McLaughlin was mm. in Perth, Peter, because Kerry Stokes and Richard Goiter were here as well. They had to finalise that deal, and they celebrated till well after midnight. And that was about this time last night. Uh, and a couple of things that were confirmed. It's a $4.5 billion TV deal. Hags wasn't sure about the length of it, but he certainly got Channel 7 Fox right, and it's now a seven-year deal. And those three that he spoke about, Gillan McLaughlin, Richard Goiter, the chairman of the AFL, and Kerry Stokes, uh, the man from Seven West, were present today. This partnership is an incredible result, unprecedented and the biggest in Australian sport. I want to outline how it will work. It is a seven-year partnership from 2025 to the end of the 2031 season. The AFL will continue to have full control of the production of the fixture including the scheduling time of the AFL Grand Final. This is important to continue to provide fans certainty and ensuring the right mix of matchups and time slots. Broadcast live and free nationally on the Seven Network and Seven Plus Digital will be AFL on Thursday nights, Friday nights, selected Saturday nights, Sunday afternoons, marquee matches, the Brownlow Medal, all AFL finals and the AFL Grand Final. First 15 rounds of the AFL Premiership season to feature Thursday night matches on the Seven Network and Seven Plus Digital. Saturday night matches in the last eight rounds. All marquee matches will be live and free. 
Dreamtime, Anzac Eve, Anzac Day, Good Friday, Easter Monday and Queen's Birthday, plus at least three additional marquee matches, such as the season opener and Queen's Birthday Eve. Broadcast live on Foxtel and KO will be every single AFL, AFLW home and away match, every AFL, AFLW final, excluding the grand final, all pre-season matches and all with their own Fox footy commentary teams. Foxtel KO will also broadcast all AFL events, including the AFL draft and awards nights, excluding the Brownlow. Foxtel KO will have a super Saturday in the first eight rounds of each AFL season broadcasting exclusively live all games in all time slots, with the exception of Anzac Eve, Anzac Day and Dreamtime if they were to fall on a sad day. Outside Victoria, the match involving the local team will be broadcast live into the local market on the 7 network and 7 plus digital, except for selected matches on holdbacks. At least 30 NAB AFLW uh, home and away games, AFLW finals and the AFLW grand final will be live and free on the 7 network and 7 Plus Digital with local market substitution rules. So there you go. There's the wrap from Gillan McLaughlin. That sort of gives you an idea. It's still, as I said, from 2025 onwards. It's still a couple of years to play out before uh, it actually materialises. But uh, he wanted it done, Gillan McLaughlin. He got together with Kerry Stokes and Robert uh, Richard Goiter, and they got it done. So there you go. All right, let's go more to the present. And uh, Jeff Valentine is the coach of the Peel Thunder Football Club. They are in an elimination final this weekend. It should be an absolute beauty. And he joins us on the program now. Rich, uh, Jeff, thanks for your time. Yeah, g'day, Peter. Pleasure, mate. I'll tell you what, you were impressive on Sunday. Yeah, look, it was, um, yeah, really impressive performance. Um, yeah, put the scoreboard on, uh, pressure on early and then really sort of put the foot on the throat in the second quarter and, um, yeah, no, very pleased. Uh, outstanding. You take on South Fremantle, of course, in that elimination final at Fremantle Oval. Uh, it's your nearest neighbour and let me tell you, there'll be a lot of interest in this one. Yeah, look, yeah, that was, a, you know, a really strong contest. We played them probably only three or four weeks ago down here at uh, Lane Group Stadium and and, uh, and got over, got over the top of them. So, um, yeah, look, really... Were the adversary. I think the last three grand finals they've been in the last six prelim finals. Um, you know, Hayden Schloy seems to be going better than ever. So um, no, we know it's going to be a really good contest, but one we're really looking forward to. We know the AFL listed players last Sunday were exceptional. I gather there won't be much change in the AFL side for their match, their semi final against Collingwood this week. Now. When does the AFL side travel and when will you get an indication on who you'll have available for the game this week? Yeah, Freo will train tomorrow. They'll have their main session tomorrow. Um, match committee in the afternoon, so I'll, I'll get a bit of an idea then how, how it's looking and then they'll travel on uh, Thursday, I think, lunchtime. So um, by that stage, it'll be all really clear. Yeah, look, I'm with you. It's you'd, you'd tough to change a, a winning formula. Um, look, obviously, Tabner's put his hand right up. Uh, Darcy Tucker will, will be unfortunately out of the, the picture now. He's, he's gone in for some minor knee surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think Bailey Banfield will be back in the mix and in around that sort of sub role. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But that, that'll be the timeline. Main train tomorrow, match committee, Fremantle, and then fly out uh, Thursday. So Darcy Tucker, is he done now for the finals campaign or is it just uh, this yeah. week that he'll be unavailable? No, nah, no, he'll be, he'll be out for the finals campaign now. Okay. Yep. All right, which is unfortunate for Darcy, who left the arena very early, didn't he? You lost him early in that game on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, look, in a fairly innocuous sort of incident, so just a little 
Um, meniscus tear, I think, is, is what they've sort of gone in for. So, um, yeah, look, unfortunately for him to, to bow out in, in that style. But, uh, look, that, that's footy, isn't it? You know, it can be a cruel game sometimes. And, um, no, but he'll, he'll attack his rehab, and I'm sure he'll be back better than ever. So what is the criteria for an aligned club when it comes to the WAFL finals, Jeff? Uh, what criteria in relation to having uh, the amount of AFL-listed players available? Because it changed, I think, uh, just over 12 months ago. Yeah, Pete, I'm not sure. Once Fremantle are out of the picture, I think it's 12 listed players. Um, there's a cap in finals. Um, and at the, at the moment, it's sort of, um, it's, well, Fremantle's still in. It's the, the arrangement between Peel and and, uh, and Fremantle. So um, that's on a bit of a sliding scale. So about 13 players, give or take um, the, the local players in, in Hughes and Wilson as well. Mm. Mm, interesting. Uh, having a look at that, your Peel-based players also continue to contribute, don't they? And they did that on Sunday. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, look, it's, um, they're the, the real sort of strength of it at the moment. You know, young fellow like Ty Anderson, who's, you know, into his first season as a Waffle player, as a premiership player at Harvey, HBL, I think. And, um, yeah, look, he's having a wonderful season on the weekend. He had nine possessions gained, seven inside 50s as a small defender. His pace is electric. Um, Benny Hancock, our captain's, you know, now back from injury and going really well. Jack Sears, you know, Blair Bell's a, you know, he's a star of the competition in in his own right. So yeah, now the local Peel fellas are, are sort of more than more than holding up their end of the bargain. It's yeah. been great. Yeah, Hayden Matthews, Carl Warner, the yep. list goes on. So yep. you've got a good foundation going forward, haven't you? Yeah, look, absolutely. Yeah, the Colts are in into the finals. They finished second, and they've got a really sort of strong group there. There's some some high-end sort of draftable talent for, for this year and next, but there's also, you know, what I would consider that sort of next level of talent that's going to be, you know, some really good waffle players in there as well. Mm. Sam Sturt, again, hit the uh, scoreboard on the weekend. One wonders. He won't certainly play AFL football this season, but he spent a lot of time, as we know, down at Peel Thunder. How important is he during this finals campaign? Because he is a standout forward. Yeah, look, it was probably Sturdy's best game of the year, which was, you know, really pleasing to see. You know, he hasn't had the year that he would have liked, no doubt about that. But, um, no, we did speak about that, you know, sometimes finals presents a, an opportunity to, to really perform in the bigger games. So to see him come out and, you know, perform in what was a, an effectively elimination final like that on the weekend, he had four goals to half time, uh, finished with four goals, three, a number of score assists. So, um, no, it was really pleasing. And, and he's really determined to finish in a, in a really strong manner because he's, he's an important player for us. He's... He's given us sort of great service. His energy is good, and the way he's sort of lent in with the program has been really positive. So, um, no, I think he's in for a really strong final series. I know you've got training tonight, so I'll let you go. Where are the dangers in relation to South Fremantle for Peel? Oh, look, it's, I guess, in the midfield, and, well, probably all over the ground. They've been a really strong team, but, you know, Hamish Free has, um, you know, come on to be one of the, the premier ruckmen in the competition. So he, he represents a challenge in there for Miki and perhaps Riley Smith, Schleuth and Veria, Archie through the middle um, up there. Mason, Mason Shaw has really got his game going after sort of got a little bit lost there, probably in the middle part where he had three or four in the twos, but I think he's kicked, you know, multiple goals over the last three or four weeks. So yeah, they, they represent a challenge right across the ground. They're playing at home. They're, they're a tough team to beat. They gave us a real touch up there early on in the year. So um, we'll need to be at our best, but it's also good to be sort of going into a final play and playing South Fremantle. Yeah, good on you. Jeff, thanks for spending some time with us. I know you've got to get out on the track, an important training session for Peel. 
as they prepare for the elimination final after that very, very impressive performance against Swan Districts last week. Uh, of course, that game across the weekend, and we look forward to delivering it uh, to our listeners as well. Thanks for your time. Pleasure, Pete. Go well. Good on you. Jeff Valentine joining us, the coach of the Peel Thunder Football Club. Still to come, we're going to preview the US Open tennis. Rob Kildare is going to join us. He knows a lot about uh, the Australian players. We'll focus on Kyrgios, Nick Kyrgios, and also Ayla Tomlanovic. They'll play overnight in the early hours of tomorrow morning as they try and seal a berth in the semifinals of the final Grand Slam tennis event of the year. So Rob's going to join us a bit later on. And then after the break, we're going to go to Glasgow because Ange Postacoglu, our very own Aussie, former Socceroo coach, is about to be the manager of Celtic in probably their biggest game that he's ever been in charge of. They take on Real Madrid, the might of Spanish and world football, at home at Celtic Park as the Champions League gets underway. And we're going to speak to a fellow called Juddy Gardner, uh, a football presenter live from Glasgow, to get us all the feel because they're waking up this morning. The game is, of course, in the early hours of tomorrow morning our time. It's a night match over there, and I reckon Glasgow, particularly the green and white of Glasgow, will be uh, a buzz. So we'll uh, check in with Juddy Gardner after the break here on Drive with Peter Vlahos. Thanks to Toolmart, the complete tool centre. The Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. Toolmart, your complete tool centre. Proudly WA owned and operated for over 40 years. Great to have your company here on Drive with Peter Vlahos uh, and Lise from Ellenbrook has said, Hi, Pete. Well done to Haggis for breaking the free-to-air deal last night. AFL has done with uh, Fox and Channel 7. Uh, They've gone with them, of course. And uh, we, uh, of course, released the information last night on this very program. Just trying to connect to Glasgow. We hopefully will bring you Juddy Gardner. I reckon this will be fun uh, when we check in with him. They're waking up over there in the UK in preparing themselves for what's going to be a, a significant uh, event uh, in the Scottish city, the biggest city in Scotland being Glasgow, when Celtic take on Real Madrid. Ange Postacoglu, the Aussie, is no doubt excited about the challenge. And this is what he says on managing Celtic in the Champions League. I've been pretty fortunate. I've I've coached at you know World Cups, Confeds Cups, um, you know um, Asian Champions League, Europa last year. So you know you, you, these are the things that you want to experience as you know as as a football manager. And and I've been really fortunate that I've had some some great experiences. And um, this will be another one. And like I said, you want to test yourself against the best but I think what's more important is that you know this football club gets an opportunity to play in a tournament where um, we want to be you know we want to be a, a consistent performer in and um, yeah that's what uh, yeah this whole sort of um, objective is for us and they go into the group opener Celtic against the current champions of Europe on a high after beating Rangers 4-0 in the first old firm game of the season to open up an early five-point lead in the title race. Let's go to Glasgow and to the green and white corner. Celtic fans are exciting, waiting in anticipation for the big match tonight. Juddy Gardner is a football presenter and part of the Celtic Football Club fan base. Juddy, thanks for your time. 
No problem. I'm excited to have a chat with you. Uh, the nerves are building, but the excitement's building just as quickly. <laughs> what will it be like today? Yeah, certainly in the green and white corner as they wait in, in anticipation for what's going to be one of the biggest games in recent years for the Celtic Football Club. Yeah, it's just going to be crazy. The the atmosphere at Celtic Park on its own is special, whether you play Aberdeen or Motherwell. Or, but when Real Madrid come to town, it becomes that little bit more special. So... Uh, a lot of nerves, like I said, but it's the game of the decade for the club. Uh, a massive club, the reigning European champions have come over, but Celtic are up to any challenge, and uh, what better way for a fairy tale to come true than at Paradise? So, Jaddy, do you really welcome their, uh, do you really think they're up for it against Real Madrid, who are, as we know, the current champions of Europe, even though, I must admit, and I'm watching all the Celtic games here because of the Australian connection, Ange has got them playing beautifully, hasn't he? Yeah, we we spoke uh, the other week on the show about how well Celtic's performances have been. The score lines have been fantastic, but the performances that go along with the score lines have been great. So the way Andrew's got his playing is, is very attacking football. That's what Celtic's about. We're out there to score goals. We're out there to win games. And we're one of the biggest names of uh, any team in Europe. Uh, recent years, European success hasn't been uh, great at Celtic, but hopefully that can return. And there's no reason why we can't go out and take anything from Real Madrid. Who's to, who's to say that we can't? Jody, there's been comparisons made now, which is quite bizarre considering uh, when Ange was appointed, everybody there in Scotland, probably including yourself, was saying Ange who. But now they're making comparisons to Martin O'Neill, of course, Brendan Rodgers. Where do you think Ange fits in at this stage? Uh, he's only been there for a season and a bit now. I, I, personally, I love the guy. Uh, I've had the pleasure of speaking to him a few times and you know what he's like with the media, but uh, he's he's a great character. He understands the club well. Um, he, he's just so up for taking this club to success. And I think he feels very at home here, even though it's uh, the other side of the world from what he's used to and, and some uh, not as good weather, certainly. But uh, the comparisons, of course, Martin O'Neill and Brendan Rodgers, what they achieved at Celtic, of, of course, it's a lot longer uh, period of, of time at the club. However, there's nothing to say that Ange can't be in that uh, bracket very, very soon. I, I'd like to see him win his, win his first treble, of course, winning a double last year. I think once he wins that treble or if we do get any kind of European success and go far, then there's nothing to say that he can't be in that bracket. But he's certainly been a breath of fresh air and every single Celtic fan absolutely loves the guy. No question that there's players in the Celtic side that have got aspirations to maybe one day play for the real big clubs in Europe. And Ange probably has got aspirations as a manager to certainly do a good job at Celtic. But it may open the door in games like tonight over there in Glasgow for him to maybe have a career in continental Europe before his career is over. Yeah, possibly. I think the way the, the club is going now, though, um, Celtic have been so used to in the past of having players doing quite well and then selling their players on. I think that I don't think Ange is the type of manager where they would allow the kind of board to to do that as such. I think if Ange wants a project completed, they'll go and get it completed. And whether that's him staying with Celtic and trying to take Celtic further up and start competing with these teams, then great. Of, of course, Celtic fans would never like to see Ange leave. Uh, once we have a connection with a manager or a player, we don't ever want them to leave. Uh, but usually our hearts do get broken. But we just hope that's not the case with Ange. But certainly, he's be, his performances, there will be eyes on him. There's certainly eyes being on some of the players that he's brought into the club already, which is, of course, a good sign. Uh, if there wasn't interest, then we wouldn't be doing so well. So uh, hopefully he stays. But 
I think if we do well in Europe this year and Ange does well domestically, I think it's what it does now for Celtic because it allows Celtic to reinvest the money that we get into the squad and improve that. And it would be great to see Ange being at the club for a spell, say five, six, seven, maybe mm. even ten years and how, how much he can build that squad over that time, mm. it would be great to see. Yeah, no, I, I know Ange, and I've worked with Ange uh, in his time here in Australia, and he's a very loyal person. It's a matter of uh, him enjoying the job, and he's certainly enjoying it at the moment. 25 goals they've scored in six matches, Celtic, and only conceded the one, and they're already five points clear of their arch-rivals, Rangers. How did you surmise that 4-0 win against Rangers on Sunday? Or Saturday, uh, was? And, uh, Demolition Derby, um, just performance-wise, I don't think Celtic got out of second gear, as the term is over here. We we played so well, we made it look like a training exercise at points. Um, Angie's philosophy, of course, of the attacking the high press, um, it worked so well playing the ball out from the back. We were just a totally different team uh, this year compared to the start of last season. Of course, the first six games weren't great. Now, all Celtic fans are taking calculators to the games now to keep up with the scoreline. So, uh, it, it has been it has been great. Um, Ange's, of course, got us playing some great football. It's great to watch and the atmosphere on Sunday. It's always sweet when you beat your rivals. So, uh, hopefully many more of the uh, situations and occasions this year. Gee, they're making some noise. I saw the game, actually, and the highlights. Uh, God, they made some noise there at Parkhead on the, on the weekend. Couple of questions. Realistically, yep. what do you hope would be the best result? Naturally, a win against Real Madrid would be like you know a fairy tale for Celtic, particularly the way they've started this season. But honestly, when you look at the starting eleven for Real, and of course Celtic have got some very good match winners, you know Jota and the like, and of course the Japanese calculation uh, combination. What is the ultimate, or what would be a pass mark? Maybe I'll ask you that question for the match tonight over there. Now, a pass mark for me would, of course, be any sort of points. Um, Real Madrid, you have to respect them. They're the reigning European champions. But Celtic Park's a fortress. We've beaten Barcelona here before. We've beaten Milan here before. We've, we've beat so many big teams in Europe here before. But there has to be a respect for Real Madrid. But realistically, if Celtic could draw tonight, that would be that would be amazing. But it's Real Madrid's game to lose. Ancelotti hasn't won here at Celtic Park as a manager. He struggled a couple of times. He's beat his an extra time before in the away leg. Um, so Celtic can go out and get something tonight. And I think, I just hope that a lot of people don't overlook Celtic. But no matter what the score, Celtic fans can certainly be proud of um, the way the club has been performing at the start of the season domestically. Um, but Europe, that's that's where dreams are made of. And hopefully we can uh, get anywhere close to 67 back back all those years ago. But yeah. uh, any pass mark, any sort of points. I know Ange is looking forward to it. It'd be great for Celtic to get out of the group stage, and it's a big night tonight. And Carlo Ancelotti, I was actually reading a bit, uh, the Real Madrid manager, is quite fearful of this uh, encounter tonight there in Glasgow because no doubt he's done his homework, he's seen what Celtic have produced, and he's been very impressed with what the football has been uh, like at Celtic under Ange. So it's going to be a challenge for them tonight. Yeah, certainly. Um, Ancelotti came out uh, a couple of press conferences this week. The first one he mentioned how this was the hardest game Real Madrid have had this fixture uh, for the first half of the season so far. So he thinks this is the hardest game that Madrid have got um, so far in, the, in their calendar. So that puts a bit of respect on our name, which is maybe quite a bad thing for Celtic because <laughs> he, 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 he won't take any risks. 
Um, but again, Ancelotti last night said that he was very excited for these players to enjoy this atmosphere because when when you hear the the Champions League roar after that and that famous anthem finishes tonight, there will be no louder place in Europe. Certainly, um, yeah. the atmosphere is always very special, but um, it's it's deafening and it will be tonight. So. The 12th man for Celtic is the 60,000 fans that sit in paradise every week. So hopefully that gives us a bit of an edge. But Carlo Ancelotti certainly has put respect on Celtic's name and the fans and the venue. So um, it's just very exciting. You nervous? Very, mate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very. Uh, I think I've had maybe two, three hours sleep, um, and it's not all in the one go. Yeah, I love but, it. Um, well, I've a few cans of red bull. Won't get us through. Good on you. There's a lovely Australian connection too with Ange, of course. Harry Kuehl is an assistant. Uh, Aaron Moy there as well. So it's a nice little Australian flavour with Celtic as well. Good on you, Juddy. Thanks for joining us, mate. I'll be following uh, the result very closely. By the way. It is on at 3 a.m. here in Western Australia, Celtic and Real Madrid, and you can catch the commentary here on SEN. So uh, we look forward to it. Thanks for your time, mate, and good luck. Brilliant. Thanks very much, guys, and enjoy the game. Good on you. Juddy Gardner, footy presenter there for Celtic TV. Just a couple of the other Champions League group matches. Uh, Chelsea, uh, Chelsea are away to Dinamo Zagreb. We've got Celtic against Real Madrid. PSG take on Juventus. That's a big one. And Manchester City are in Spain. They take on Sevilla. Some of the matches in the Champions League tomorrow morning, our time. We'll take a break and come back and bring you up to date with everything else that's happening in footy. And also, we'll preview the US Open tennis as well. Let's just update what's happening in sport for tyre power. Buy three and get one free on selected Kumo passenger car and SUV tyres. At Tyre Power. In the cricket, uh, there is a the first of the uh, one-day internationals being played, a day-nighter between Australia and New Zealand. Uh, Australia need 233 to win and currently are four for 44. Carry on 10, Stoinis on five. Another failure for Aaron Finch. Four for 44 in the 12th over. They need 233 as the target to take off the first ODI against the Kiwis up there in Cairns. Daniel Ricciardo's admitted that he would be open to taking a reserve driver's role with one of Formula One's top teams in 2023 and believes he can get back to winning ways despite his current adversity. In the tennis, and we're about to welcome uh, Rob Kilderi, uh, Carlos Alcaraz has cemented his status as the next big thing in men's tennis with an extraordinary US Open victory of a former champion, Martin Cilic, uh, Alcarez booked his spot in the quarters. Uh, he won 6-4, 3-6, 6-4, 4-6, in a gruelling tussle that ended well after 2 a.m. in New York. In fact, for the first time in almost 20 years, none of the world's four biggest players in international tennis will feature in the quarterfinals of the Grand Slam. And that was after Francis Tiafo pulled off the biggest upset win of his career when he disposed of second-seeded Rafael Nadal, 6-4-4-6-6-4-6-3, to reach the US Open quarterfinals. But we're excited about uh, Nick Kyrgios and Isla Tomlanovic, and to discuss it is a man that has lived and breathed tennis all his life. He's my go-to man when it comes to tennis here in WA, a player, a coach, and a mentor for many a tennis player. I'm talking about Rob Kilderi. And I welcome him to drive with Peter Vlahos on this Tuesday. Rob, thanks for your time. 
No worries, Pete. I've got plenty of that. <laughs> uh, amazing, isn't it, when you look at the quarterfinals of the US Open? And, of course, it'll play out overnight and in the early hours of tomorrow morning our time. Nick Kyrgios, yeah. Isla Tomlanovic. It's exciting for Australian tennis on the back end of the disappointment of losing Ash Barty to retirement. Well, it's been quite refreshing to see Nick's behaviour, I guess, would be a fair comment. Um, I think he may be starting to mature, I hope, because he's so talented. And Isla's done a terrific job winning two tough matches, and particularly the one against Serena, which was a great effort because Isla's showing terrific uh, temperament under pressure. I mean, it looks as though she just doesn't worry about pressure at the moment. She's just winning all those tough points and tough games, going for 20 minutes, stuff like that. So her mental approach has been fantastic. It has been uh, incredible. And her rise up the, uh, the tennis rankings and her profile has happened all of a sudden. Uh, we know she's been playing well for the last 12 months, but this is now a really good chance for her to not only go past the quarters, but really maybe into the final four and even a Grand Slam final. Has she got the game to do that, do you think, Rob? If you were talking about last year when Ash Barty was around a few of those players, I wouldn't have thought she would. But now at the moment, the, the field is even out unbelievably. I mean, she lacks nothing in comparison to the opponents that she's going to face. I think Ons Jabeur may be tough because Jabeur's obviously been training. I mean, when she played at maybe Wimbledon, she looked really... Didn't look fit to me. A bit heavy on her feet. But now I look at her and I think, my gosh, she's been really training hard. I can see the movement better, uh, serves better, everything seems better. And she's getting to every ball, which is a bit different. So Isla will have a tough job, but Isla will face her face right up and say, well, you're going to beat me, you're going to have to work hard to beat me because I'm I'm not giving in. You know, and that, that's be a good... Isla's doing a really, really good job. And I think she's learned from the other girls that you've got to be able to hit the ball hard. Unless you hit the ball hard and in, like Sabalenka, who really, you know, how could you pick where she's going to hit it? She just tees off on every ball. And it's very hard to match up against people that really hit it hard. And so Isla's come that way, and now she's so well, I'm going to hit the ball hard too, and I'll, I'll be just as good as you are. No, she's so certainly she's a very good. exciting prospect for Australia here in the final uh, Grand Slam tournament of the year. What about Nick Kyrgios? He's come out and said he doesn't want to let his team down, yet his team has been in the firing line in the players' box uh, in, in most matches. I think we are seeing a bit more of maturity for Nick and even the way he's addressing his game and what he's saying at the press conferences suggests this is his best chance mentally and physically in the way the draws opened up to maybe win his first Grand Slam. What do you like about his game? Well, number one, he's got the best first serve in the world. My, my only question for Nick is if he misses his first serve, like you could look at the score at the end of a match with Nick playing Karchanov and you look at the percentage of second serves won or lost. I just forget the first serve for the moment. If Nick wins 60% of his second serves and Karchanov won 50, Nick won. Like Medvedev lost the Australian and he served ace after ace after ace and he had one game against the Dar where he missed his first serve three or four times, dropped his serve, lost the match. So Nick's got to keep up his percentage of first serves. And if he misses his first serve, he's got to really come in with a good second serve, which doesn't mean a double fault, which means he's going to have to put Karchanov under pressure with his second serve because that will be the key. If he's getting his first serve, then obviously the game's going to go over in about 40 seconds. But, so that'll be the key for the match for both of them. So if Karchanov misses his first serve, Nick's going to tee off. 
well, he should tee off on his. Because uh, Nick's ground strokes off the, his backhand off the ground is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And if he gets any time to hit the ball off the floor, he's going to hit a winner. The big one for Nick is that if Karchanov serves a lot to his forehand, he can't just block it back. He's got to hit it. That's getting a bit technical, but I, I think Nick's temperament, I think he's starting to look at himself and think, God, I can't believe I did that. Yeah. <laughs> Now I'm going to fix it. I'm going to show people that I'm I'm not like that. The thing I worry about with Nick is if one thing goes wrong, you only get 25 seconds break between points. A ball or someone like that would just spend that 25 seconds, oh, I lost that point, I'll do this, I'll do that, and he'd be sorting out how to solve a problem. And if Nick's just blowing off of his box and screaming or going doing whatever, arguing with the umpire, he's losing the importance of that relaxation in between points. So in a five-set match, he's going to be mentally tired, or even a four-set match, which goes to three or four hours. So he's got to try and not be mentally tired. In other words, ignore what just happened, get ready for the next point. And he's a real crowd puller, isn't it? The crowd just love going to watch Nick Kyrgios play. Mate, the young kids we coach all love to watch Nick Kyrgios. Really? It's a bit like World Championship Wrestling, mate. <laughs> you don't know what's coming next, you know? And the crowd will get behind. I mean, he'll be the crowd favourite. I don't care what happens. He'll be the crowd favourite, unless he's playing an American, of course. And so he's got more variety. And, I mean, that shot between his legs, sort of, it's just showtime. And that's what it is. I mean, you can't, theoretically, you can't win a point by hitting between your legs. But my thing with Nick is that he's got to make sure he returns second serves and hits the ball rather than just blocking it back. You know, he's got to put pressure on the guy from that point of view because I don't think his forehand's as good as his backhand. He never misses the backhand. I mean, he's solid. I mean, if he gets easy volleys, he's okay. Well, I don't think he's a great volley or if he gets a difficult volley. So he actually is probably not going to come into the net on anything because I'm not sure about how well he volleys. He'll do a flash volley, but I'm not sure if his basics are good. So he probably won't be relying on that. He'll be relying on hitting good shots off, off the baseline, never miss a backhand, and... When he gets his ball hit, he's smacking off his forehand. So that's his game plan, I think. Rob Kildare, we're talking to you about tennis. Rob, we saw the end of the Serena Williams reign. Her days are over. What an incredible career, 23 grand slams. I know you've uh, coached and you've watched and you've been involved uh, over a number of generation of tennis player. Of course, in New York, they thought she was the greatest of all time. How did you see Serena's career? And if you were bold enough to predict where he, she sits, where would she sit in the all-time greats? Well, in the modern era, she's done well. But you can't dismiss what Margaret Court's done. I mean, Margaret not only won singles, she won doubles and mixed doubles mm. in the same tournaments. So she, probably, I think she had about 62 Grand Slam titles. I don't think it's probably fair to compare eras. Serena was tough to beat, obviously, but keep in mind Sam Stowe's a bit in the final of the US Open. So, you know, they all have their wins and losses. It's always been thrown up about the open era, that is, when it wasn't open and when it was open. Can you explain the difference? In the, we call it the amateur era, everyone played. There was a five-year gap between about 62 and 68 where a guy like Rod Laver couldn't play uh, in tournaments. But he won the four tournaments in 60... And all the Grand Slam, I think it's about 62, came back in 68 and still won all the four tournaments. So it's just that certain players in that era weren't allowed to play because they were... Uh, if you were a coach, you were doing the professional. You, know, mm-hmm. like you couldn't play in those that five years. So outside of that five years, everyone's been able to play in every tournament. When they say the open area, it just means everyone's playing. And everyone played up to 62 and after 68. So it was just that five years in between you were deemed to be 
a professional if you played for money or whatever it was. So I don't see much difference in the who was available to play. I just think, like all sports, the, the techniques get better, the consistency and the power gets bigger, the rackets have changed. OK, that's that's like all sports. But I think from the point of view of Serena, she beat everyone that played in her era, the same as Margaret did. Margaret Court was the first one that bought in the physical side of tennis. Like, she trained like they train now. She was way ahead of the game, her physicality. Her range of shots, like, she'd only slice a backhand pretty well. Whereas these girls really hit heavy topspin backhand, bigger serves... Probably don't volley as much, but if you watch Borg play McEnroe, it's like an A-grade pennant match. It's just very slow hitting, you know. So mm -hmm. it's just everything keeps evolving and someone comes up with something different, like they're going to be able to hit top spin backhands down the line, whatever it is, but they're adding and adding and adding. And speed before accuracy now, Pete. Everything in life evolves, including sport, I agree, Rob. But thanks for uh, having a chat with us. I really appreciate it, giving us a bit of an insight into where Kyrgios and Tomlanovic sit and also uh, that comment that was made regarding Serena Williams and where she sits uh, in the history of the great uh, sport of tennis. Thanks for your time, Rob. The only Rob. thing I was, Pete, I, yeah. had, I was disappointed in the fact that she didn't pay respect to Aya. Yeah, she didn't mention before. it all in the uh, speech, did she? Which I thought was a bit I disrespectful. I was a bit disappointed yeah, in that. Yeah, yeah but, I agree. But Ayla was Ayla spoke beautifully anyway, so that was good. Yeah, yeah. good on you, Bye, mate. Pete. Thanks for your time. Good on you, fella. See you, boys. Bye. The Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. Toolmark, your complete tool centre. Proudly WA owned and operated for over 40 years. Yeah, thanks to Rob Kilderry for giving us a bit of a preview to tonight's uh, two big matches uh, involving the Australians, Nick Kyrgios and Isla Tomlanovic. We'll have more on those matches tomorrow night on the Drive program with Peter Vlahos from 5 o'clock. Let's focus on the big event, Collingwood against uh, Fremantle Dockers. Uh, it's a Saturday night match over there in Melbourne. It's officially a sellout. So they're expecting 90,000 people. And now the Fremantle Dockers, I believe this morning, had sold about 4,500 tickets, people venturing across. They may have sold a, a few more after that. But gee whiz, how big's the Magpie Army that uh, are going to fill the MCG? Go the Dockers. I tell you what, Nathan Buckley from SEN Breakfast in Melbourne is certainly very impressed with the Fremantle Dockers Young Brigade. I was just struck by how young that side was to be able to have a 54-point 50, turnaround in actual, in actual terms from a 41-point deficit to a 13-point win was, um, was amazing. Oh, look at it. Jaya missed two games. Um, Brand Brandon Walker, 29 games. Michael Frederick, 37 games. Heath Chapman, 21. Uh, Hayden Young, who's a gun, 33 games. Nathan O'Driscoll, 10. And if they're doing it at this stage of their careers, then the capacity is to keep pulling. There's no guarantees, but the capacity to keep pulling it together and keep growing and keep improving. I mean, Frederick, Switzkowski, Schultz as high forwards, who, who their work rate up and back. They're, yeah, yeah that, that was what they built their game off early in the year. And... I'd expect a really good, strong showing from them against the Collingwood, who's going to put fierce pressure on. Yeah, there you go. Nathan Buckley talking about the young Fremantle Dockers that have been so impressive this season. Damien Hardwick was asked a question now that Richmond have bowed out of finals race and their season is done and dusted. There's a bit of conjecture regarding Trent Cotchin and the future of also Jack Revolt. This is what uh, the coach of the Tigers had to say 
about Revolt. Jack's done everything in his power to play what it is. And what we have to do is we've got a great understanding about where we're at now, but more importantly, where we need to take the club to move forward. And the, and the jumper and the man in the jumper is important, but the jumper and first is the first and foremost thing we're thinking about when we're making decisions. So that is a business decision, but there's also the human element of what this guy means to us. So we'll sit down tomorrow, we'll make it a collective decision. There might be a collective argument along the way, but uh, we're pretty sure... What we'll about when he was... Cover. Mm, there you go. That was from AFL 360 uh, last night. Also on Footy Classified last night, if you caught it, uh, Caroline Wilson had a bit of an interesting comment to make about North Melbourne. The North Melbourne Football Club, in the time-honoured tradition of putting out the trash, announced the axing of their chief executive, Ben Amafio, on Friday, just hours before the first bounce of the Geelong-Collingwood final. They did the same thing a week earlier, axing their head of football, Daniel McPherson, after just 10 months in the job. The Amafio announcement, apart from cynical eyebrows raised at the timing, was not all that surprising. His position was precarious well before Alistair Clarkson sealed his fate. But McPherson, why was he removed? Even North seem a bit uncomfortable when you ask him the question, especially after he received a thumbs-up in the Jeff Walsh review where it was recommended that a new role be found for him. Look, clearly Alistair wanted his man, Todd Viney, at his side when he came to the club. But why was Viney suddenly appointed head of football when everyone said that he was going to be head of coaching? And now Alistair's having a big say in the new CEO. Is it too early to spot danger signs? Uh, well, there you go, Caroline Wilson with her editorial on what's happened at North Melbourne. Let's go back to tennis. And for those people that are pretty keen to watch Nick Kyrgios, he plays at 8.30 tomorrow morning, our time in that quarterfinal. And he's uh, really pumped. Speaking of your team, sometimes you give them a little of the business, more than sometimes in the match. But you seem now to be able to, to kind of do it, let off steam, and then refocus quickly. Has that been something that you've been working on? Definitely. I just don't want to let them down. You know, we've been on the road now for four months and, you know, we've all got families that we want to see and I want to make it count. You know, this is the last trip before I head back to Australia. So I want to go all the way. Um, hopefully it's possible. So. Yeah, and he takes on the Russian uh, Karchanov. Uh, Karchanov is rated 31 in the world. Nick Kyrgios, 25. And looking at the odds, uh, Nick is very much a firm favourite at this stage. $1.22, Karchanov uh, to cause an upset is at $4.33. And if you want to see Isla Tomlanovic, she takes on Anjabur of Tunisia. But that's at 2 o'clock in the morning, our time tomorrow morning, for the right to get through to the semi-finals. So good luck to Isla Tomlanovic. And uh, she's through to the quarterfinals. Uh, just looking at uh, Anjabur, she's one of the top 10 players in the world. And as you heard from Rob Kildary, she looks fighting fit at the moment. It's going to be a, a real test for Isla, but uh, she has been very, very impressive so far in this tournament. On Jabur of Tunisia, uh, her WTA ranking is number five, and Isla Tomlanovic, uh, her ranking at this stage is 46, and will go north once the new rankings are released at the end of this US Open. And just repeating, uh, it was great to have a chat to uh, Juddy Gardner, the football presenter from Celtic TV, a bit earlier because we have got the European Champions League. It kicks off tonight. Really looking forward to it. And I wish Ange Postacoglu, Harry Kuhl and everybody involved with Celtic all the best. They take on the might of Real Madrid, the European Championship. And that gets underway at 3 o'clock our time tomorrow morning. And we'll give you a full wrap on the Champions League on Drive with Peter Vlahos tomorrow.
Thanks for your time. Uh, thanks to Lee. Thanks to Jimmy. Of course, it's all been brought to you by Toolmart, the complete tool centre. Thanks to Ian Peterson, where you get the right tool from the start. See you tomorrow from five as we wrap up the Champions League, we wrap up the tennis, and we bring you all the latest news right here. Good night, everyone.